Our scripture reading will be coming from uh, Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Good morning. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We are definitely in the peak of fall, aren't we? It has been gorgeous. I noticed that the uh, rain and the wind caused a lot of the leaves to fall down, but before that, for a couple of weeks, it was just brilliant. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about that is that that brilliance that you see, that beauty that you see, are things dying? They're dying. The leaves are. And they turn this beautiful color before they fall to the ground. It's at this time of year where I think about so often that that, uh, all of that fruit that was produced on these trees, uh, from spring blooms to to the crops that they yielded, and, and have dropped or are dropping to the ground those, those seeds uh, to, to create the next generation, that those leaves look so beautiful at death. That's incredible to me. And then, and then it just seems so gloomy, you know, for a while. There's beauty in winter, no doubt about it. Uh, I love winter. I love winter, but the trees are pretty drab, aren't they? But inside of them, there's, there's life. You know, there's... there's there's flow and there's growth going on. And then we see in the early parts of spring, those buds come out and that life begins to spring forth again. I cannot help but think that in this is a life lesson for us from God to see and observe the cycle of life, but also the beauty that comes after a fruit-bearing life that seems to then fall to the ground but lie dormant only to spring forth into a resurrection, a new life in the spring. I, I think that's God's will for us and a design for us to learn. And what we're going to see today in a lesson from three young men are three young men who are not in their prime of life or uh, at the end of life, but, but yet in the summer, maybe the spring of their life, there's a threat of being cut off. There's a threat of being cut off, but I want you to see that the same, the same knowledge that we have, that if the world remains for a few more months, we can expect spring to come through death in the winter to all these trees and things in nature. And we can see the, that spring will come again. We hope for it so much in February and March. We can't wait for it to get here, but just like that, These three men had a faith that even if winter came for them very early, 
that there was going to be a day when they sprang forth to life again. And it caused them to think differently about life. It prepared them properly for life as God would have us to live it here, even in the face of death. So I want you to look with me at these passages that we're going to read today. And remember that the Lord demanded such faith. Mark eleven twenty two. 22, He said, have faith in God. Jesus said that. He also said in John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. Oh, ye of little faith, Peter. Have faith in God. I want you to keep that in mind because I want to ask a simple question. It's kind of like one of those questions um, to, to describe something really simple and you think you know it, but to put it into words is a little harder. Like, what is, what is grace? You know, what does it mean to be saved? And you say, well, I know the answer to that. Where do I start? It's one of those questions. What do you mean, have faith in God, Jesus? What do you mean have faith in God? And every one of us in this room would probably answer that question using different words. We would touch on similar things. Some of us would touch on things that others wouldn't in our description of what faith is, but we have a written record right here in this book in Daniel. In, in one chapter, just a succinct narrative of what I believe in, in, captures the faith in God that our Lord is wanting us to prepare our lives with so that when we meet Him, we're ready for Him. Because these young men were, were potentially about to meet Him and they needed to be prepared for Him. These men were captives from the siege of Jerusalem in 606 B.C. If you look at Daniel chapter 1, you'll see that they were among the nobles and the king's sons, uh, the faithful remnant who stood fast in the worship and service of the God of heaven, even during Judah's darkest times, when God's hand was upon them to punish and to discipline, these men were holdouts. There always are holdouts. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. And God said, get up, Elijah. There's 7,000 yet in, among Israel that haven't bowed to the need to Baal. And sometimes we feel like in our settings... We must be the only one who believes. And there are those who believe among us. But these men, this is make it or break it. This is fight or flight for them. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Three beautiful names. Listen to this. The Lord shows grace. Hananiah. The Lord shows grace. Mishael, who is like God? Azariah, the Lord is my help. But while they were brought into this new culture, being brilliant-minded, I mean, these are high scorers on the ACT. These are men of high IQ, able to learn quickly and adeptly, it says in Daniel chapter 1. Intelligent, good-looking, able to represent well what the king has to, to portray about himself. Uh, stout men, uh, uh, in their, not in the prime of their life age-wise, but maybe in strength, in their youth. They may have been teenagers. They may have been teenagers here yet. It's, it's likely that they were uh, 15 to 19 years old. 
Daniel is one who's among them, but Daniel, our author, writes about this from a third-person perspective and tells this narrative of these three friends of his, even though he's injected into the story a little bit. This is about them. Because of their abilities, Nebuchadnezzar, early in his reign here, very early in his reign, wants to acclimate them into the Babylonian culture. I want you to think about for a minute what it might be like to be lifted up and taken out of America and placed in a culture where you didn't know the language, you didn't know the customs, you didn't know what was expected of you, you didn't know what your living arrangements were going to be, or what you were going to eat, or whether you were going to like it, or get sick on it, or whatever, and you were to be acclimated into a completely different culture, one that you're unfamiliar with. What is naturally going to come with that is a strong pull away from your roots, which would also include things you believe, things you've stood on, things you've based your life on, your whole life, even at a young age to this point, your heritage, your godly heritage, those things which you have learned to cherish and and put your trust in, these things, you're, you're going to be trained away from them. In fact, We don't even want you to be called the Lord shows grace or who is like God or the Lord is my help. We're going to change your name. The captain of the king's eunuchs gave them new names. Hananiah, you shall be called Shadrach. That means the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, you shall be called Meshach. Who is as Aku is? You say who is like God. I say to you, your name is who is like Aku. Azariah, the Lord is my help. You are now the servant of Nebo. You shall be called Abednego. We don't want you to hold on to your culture. We don't want you to hold on to your heritage. We don't want you to hold on to your faith anymore. Obviously, your God is not like our gods or you wouldn't be standing here in our court. It's happened a few times in history. Remember Moses, who forsook the pleasures of Egypt, the pleasures of sin, being acclimated into Pharaoh's ways and the ways of the Egyptians, held on to his godly heritage. And as he became more aware of God's work and what his role may be in that work, he stood up. Well, this has happened before. It will happen again. It will happen again with the apostles and with many other men and women of faith throughout history, the names of which you and I don't even know yet. And I long to know them by name in the place where we all plan to meet. They had some options. They could just assimilate. They could reject the old ways and say, well, I mean, they're right. Where is God? Let's just assimilate. They could have negotiated and said, you know, but some things are pretty precious to us. We'd still like to hold on. Can we just keep a, can we keep a copy of the scrolls? Do you mind if we pray to our God after we bow down to yours? They could have negotiated and compromised. Men still try to do that today. God's people sometimes still look for ways to negotiate things. Or... 
they could have withdrawn and simply said, we, 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 we cannot do this, but neither do we have faith and, and, and we've lost hope in our old ways. There, there's a number of things they could have done. But instead of that, they did what God still wants His people to do today. To live in the culture that they're found in. But to not be of the culture. Didn't John say that in 1 John? To be in the world, but not of the world. Didn't Paul talk about that and learning to mingle with those of, of our culture? He said, of course, we're going to interact with people in our cultures, but I'm calling you out of that as Christians? Yes. This is the test that they're facing. And so, uh, Daniel, whose name means, by the way, God is my judge, and whose name was changed to Belteshazzar, meaning Bel protect his life, also escaped a fateful death by his faith. But let's take a look at what it means to have faith in God. Read with me, please. Daniel chapter 3. It's a lengthier reading. So open up your Bible and uh, follow along with this fascinating story of faith. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. 60 cubits is about 90 feet tall, about nine stories high. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces of this new world empire, that is, to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Ah! And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And thus was born the separation of church and state. <laughs> That's why we have one, folks, right there. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the image of gold. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. See, this is after Daniel interprets the dream and requests that his three friends be set up as governors also over the region of Babylon. And uh, in chapter 2, the previous chapter, and he says, uh, you've done this thing. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that they brought these men before the king. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, they were in his favor before this. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, 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 pants, in their pants. Can't say it today. Their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got too close, church. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. You see, they could, for they were unbound now. They walked out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselor gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies their fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not even on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, 
Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's their second promotion. The second time God saved them. And so what kind of faith did they have? Did they have faith that God existed, do you suppose? Oh yes, I think they did. And they didn't even stop to try to engage Nebuchadnezzar in a, in a creation-evolution debate of sorts. They didn't try to lay out the case for God's existence. They didn't try to defend God. For Nebuchadnezzar had already come to know who this God was. You see, he had turned again to elevate himself up as God in the province. After bowing before Daniel and exalting him in the kingdom, he's turned now and probably with the advice of all these governors and officials to set up something to become great and make a name for himself, a legacy to leave behind for generations to follow. Hey, you're our first reigning king. You've got to leave behind a legacy about a monument. And so he, he went after all this and had forgotten whom he had said earlier was the God of heaven. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have anything to argue about with him. They said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us as if to say, you should know this. We stand here today alive because he interpreted your dream so that you would stop killing all the wise men and nobles of Babylon, which included us. We've already been delivered once by his hand. And he certainly didn't need to defend it. And in fact, they said this. He will deliver us. He's able to deliver us and he will deliver us. You mean they knew that He was going to send one like the Son of God, Christ the Lord, into the midst of the furnace to be among them to show that He has power over fire, that fire cannot touch His beloved children? They knew all this? No, they said, but even if He doesn't deliver us from your hand here, we're not going to bow down and serve your gods. Wow. What did they know that we don't know? Well, they knew God existed. Do you know that? Do you know that as we've been driving around for several weeks just going, wow, wow. Does God need defended as if He's never worked before in the lives of men or in your life? As someone challenges our faith... I think we can safely assume that, that they understood that God is. God exists. He is self-contained. He is the first cause of all things, Himself uncaused. Cause and effect goes back to the infinite Creator who is the absolutely necessary being 
in terms of logical argumentation, in terms of apologetic value. He is the first cause uncaused. He began all of this stuff. They didn't need to say all that. Nebuchadnezzar already had a taste of all this. They believed that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They believed that by the elders, by faith the elders, their forefathers obtained a good testimony. They believed that by faith, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by His great might. This was an understanding in a teenager's mind. We just understand this. But it translates. It translates when it counts. It translates when it's important, most important, to their own soul's sake, and also for all of those who would have the opportunity to come to know the living God. Translate it into action. They had no need to relay a foundation that was already there. What they needed to do now was build upon it and show who the God, the true God of the world was. They certainly believed that He is, but it's more than that. It wasn't even a matter of, of their eminent fate before them and whether God was, was there or not. Or it was about they believed He was faithful that He wasn't going to let them down. He wasn't just there and seeing what was going on, that He would deliver them. Now, He's either going to do it now, or we're going to burn up in the fire and it's going to hurt. It's going to be horrible for a little bit. And then He'll deliver our souls from the second fire. So He will deliver us. He will deliver us. What an understanding to have at that age, number one, at this time in history. Number two, see, they've been listening closely, closely to the prophets. These men were students. They were raised in the king's palace in Judah. They were learning all these things, probably wondering, why does our king not get this? And they're over in Babylon studying the ways of the gods of Babylon going, yeah, this isn't even close. This doesn't explain nothing like the God of our fathers. See, they had this understanding that Moses, their great leader, had said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear, Moses said. No longer me. There will be a day when another prophet comes. You're going to hear him. And it shall be that God will speak through him to you, and whoever does not heed the words of this prophet will have to give an account to God. Well, there's one coming greater than Moses. We're waiting on him. What if we get cut off in this fire? This deliverer will come and save us. Boy, did he. <laughs> did he. I imagine there was surprised as Nebuchadnezzar was, don't you? To rise up and be unbound in the middle of a fire, walking with one who appears to them as the Son of God. Who's that? I think it was Christ. It was Christ the Lord. And so their faith was in His faithfulness. Now, notice it wasn't in their own faithfulness. 
when they decided we're going to go into that fire, about the time they would have started thinking, am I worthy to die for God? What have I done? Um, are my works good enough to get me through this so I can get to heaven? You and I would be nervous if we started thinking that way. And so would they be. I believe their faith is not in their own righteousness here. This is an early testimony to the grace of God, which is bestowed upon all those through history, through Christ, reaching back as well as forward to us, that they were confident, as Rodney led us in song, that they knew in whom they believed, and that He was able to keep that which they have committed to Him against that day. And the day looks like it's going to be today, boys. <laughs> I'm sure glad that God is faithful to His promises and we have this understanding because I'm going in, Shadrach. I'm going in. I bet they didn't use those names either. Mishael, Azariah, I'm going to do it. We're going with you. This is the kind of faith that was built in them before Christ ever came to earth. They just needed Him to be faithful in their generation. And He was. He showed up. But I think it's even more than this. Their faith was deeply inscribed on their hearts and it was deeply inscribed in their minds even as their contemporary Jeremiah was saying, there's going to be a new covenant that God establishes with the house of Israel and Judah in those days. And He will write His law in their minds and in their hearts. They'll get a new heart for themselves. These guys had an understanding of God's promises, not just how to keep rules, but they understood promises and it was etched deep. And they said, you know, this isn't even about whether I live or die today. We're going to live. We're going somewhere where we're promised eternal life. The patriarch Job had said, I know my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on earth. I'm going to be standing with Him. And He's going to take us up and there will be a resurrection from the dead. All these things have been prophesied by now, even recently through Isaiah, so vividly in chapter 53. These young men were students of this. And they're saying, hey man, we're going to live whether we go into the fire or not, unless we chicken out. Then the promise is off. If I deny Him right now before all of these to save my skin and bone, He has not promised His faithfulness to guys like me. And didn't Jesus repeat that in Matthew chapter 10, chapter 12? Don't deny me, I won't deny you. But you confess your Father, especially when it counts, and I'll confess you before Him in heaven. I'll say, Father, I know this one. He'll say, yes, I do too. They had a vision in their head already. Church, they're living by this vision. Anthony's spoken recently. said, does that, does that affect the way you make decisions in your life? Seriously. That heaven is real, that, that we, have been, we have been promised and reserved a place there with God for committing our lives to Him. Oh, that's nice. Now, where was I about my business? That should translate into a different 
paradigm for your life, a different worldview, a different mode of operation for how you do everything that you're doing in life. It should affect you deeply. They had this deep-seated faith. They were among those who the Hebrew writer in chapter 11, when he said, and time would fail me to tell of all those who did this, 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 and this. I think they, they were among those whom he wished he could have got to and devoted a few verses to. But he said about all of them in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, actually, that are eternal, that are coming yet to dwell with God in the heavenly places. They all died in faith, they haven't received the promises yet, but having, listen to this, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things plainly declare that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, you can go back to your old way today. That's the interpretation. You can go back to your old way of life, old, old Egypt. He said, they had opportunity to return, but they didn't. You have opportunity to return, so do I. I'm not going to. Don't let me, church. Don't let me. If you love me, I won't let you. I won't let you either. I promise you that. There'll be confrontation. Ooh, in church... I just want to come and feel good about what we're doing here. I don't want to be confronted. Hey, man, this is about life and death. If you're going off into the wrong fire, I'm going to do what Jude said to do and reach in and pluck some of those out of the fire, sparing their lives, sparing their souls for God. And John or James said, whoever turns one away from this death covers a multitude of sins. That's what we're to do for each other. God had revealed these glimpses to these men. It translated into their faith. So, let me finish by reading one verse out of Daniel and one out of Corinthians. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Go ahead and turn there and look at verse 9. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. <clears throat> So all this is going on, and then just within a short period of time, within a, within a few years, all right, Daniel has visions, and he sees this. And you wonder, how do these people have, have such faith? God was working to show them things that He's showing us today. I watched, Daniel said, till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. This is his vision given to him by God. The Ancient of Days was seated. There's the eternal God, the Father. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. What a picture, huh? A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. And the books were opened. Verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Doesn't that sound like whom Nebuchadnezzar saw in the burning fiery furnace? One like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. Picture this coming together in the sky. 
the Ancient of Days on His throne. Here comes one like the Son of Man to Him. He said, I saw this happening. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel 2.44 You tell me who that is. Who was it like the Son of Man brought before the Ancient of Days and given a kingdom? It was Jesus Christ. You see, they're seeing this in the 6th century B.C. And they're seeing the kingdom being given. They're, they're being shown visions of what we have here today. Wow! Wow! They're shown the church. And you know, Israel, in their captivity and coming back home from their activity, begins to act like the church. They begin to act like God's congregants. Those who are looking for and longing for a kingdom. They're looking for the gospel. Yes, they're looking for the gospel, which, as I mentioned, I would read one more verse. I think I put it up on the last slide. Yes? They're looking for, and God is seeking those who are, read with me, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, the one whom Daniel said came to him and was given a great kingdom. God is not going to fail now. And Paul is saying, don't you fail now. Don't you fail now. You know, when faith is shown in these opportune times, a couple of things happen. People become infuriated. Some become confused, but people are also converted. People are converted. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius. God brought Paul before kings and rulers. And he converted some of them. Not all, but all were given the opportunity to know who God was. God, what do you expect of me today? Matt, I expect you to stand on my promises. I am faithful. Will you be faithful? I will, then stand before me, represent me accurately before the world so that some may know who I am and turn to me, if not all, and come to me. That's what He wants from each one of us today. Now Rodney's going to lead us in a song and the words have been selected to draw out your faith, to draw out your courage, to draw out your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you've not yet made that confession, to put Him on in baptism and make Him the Lord of your life, to stand with us and sing, and if you need to become a Christian today, let's do that today.